expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. It's episode 23 of Down and Nerdy, where sometimes we're a-holes, but we promise we're not 100% dicks. And we're not Booster Gold. No. I'm James Witham alongside... Nick Pataglia. And a lot going on for us. It seems like all the time there's something going on. Well, at least every hour because, I mean, you are going to have a kid. Like, in literally like any day, any almost minute Almost had a kid on Saturday, actually. It almost happened. We were, you know, if, you're, if you've had a child, you know, you go through the hospital tour. Yeah. You know, just so you can see where you're going, get a better idea of what's going on, you go there early. Well, we didn't get to do ours until later. And we're get to the end of the tour. And guys, I'm sure you've seen your wives, girlfriends have contractions. And uh, I'm, I'm watching her have these contractions. I'm like, you okay? And she says, yeah, yeah. So then I said, are you sure? Because we're already here. And she said, yeah. And then as we're getting ready to walk out, she's like, yeah, let's get checked out. And long story short, it was false labor, but... Yeah, I mean... but kind of worked out because we weren't really... Totally prepared. But here's how you know you picked a good hospital, because you told me this. Like, you walked in all along the walls, you're like, what, the bat symbol? Yeah, there were bat symbols everywhere. There were Batman symbols, Batman... I have no idea why. It didn't care, but I, it was a good sign. We actually, I actually talked to you about that text. I'm like, yeah, I go, wouldn't it be awesome, like, if when... It's time. Like, like he's coming. Like, it's it's time. Your wife just emits, like, a bat signal from her stomach. Like, like all pregnant women... Just admit, like, some sort of light bat signal from your stomach. And then you hop in the Batmobile, and then you just go down there. And it's like, oh, there's no parking or so you can't leave your car here. No problem, because if you've got the Keaton Batmobile, you can just grapple hook your way up the side of the hospital. That's right. And just shimmy your way down into uh, the labor ward. Plus, not only that, who's got the balls to tow the Batmobile? Yeah. You're not towing the Batmobile. You have to be a real you have to be a real dick to tow the Batmobile. Exactly. So I mean you could park wherever you wanted, but I mean that was a little bit of an experience. Well, to say the least. When, and when you tow the Batmobile, you're like you're towing a child's broken dream, pretty much. Exactly. So you can't tow the Batmobile. So maybe I find a Batmobile that I can rent, you know, once things get closer. Yeah. Make things a little easier for myself. Yeah. What I did was my my whole week was just chill, relax weekend, and then my week didn't really get kicked off until Tuesday, <laughs> because Tuesday, I went to see Soundgarden and Nine Inch Nails right. live, which, holy shit, I mean, I've seen, a, I haven't seen a whole amount of concerts in my life, but it's literally the best concert, I mean, I've seen like Alice Cooper live, I've seen Stan live, Disturbed, Nine Inch Nails was is literally the best concert you can ever go to. I talked to somebody about that and I said, hey, I'm going to see Nine Inch Nails and she was all like excited about it and she said, she goes, it's literally the biggest, best concert, best performance you can ever see in your life and goddamn, she was right. And I was sending her uh, pictures and something like that throughout the concert she goes, just fucking stop and <laughs> just enjoy. Now you're digging it in. <laughs> yeah. Right so yeah, so I mean, but they were amazing and the reason why is because, I mean, just the stuff they do with the stage and the movements and the lighting, they spent like for lighting rig Seven million dollars. That's crazy. So I mean, you know, and and and, and it was amazing, and it's just it's if you're a nerd, you have to go see Nine Inch Nails because just the technical aspect that they do with all the lights and everything else. Like for example, here's how nerdy this thing is. This concert was. 
the the lighting rig, okay, you know how most of the time they have them up hooked up to a, a board and stuff like that? Right. Well, they were hooked up, the lighting rig was hooked up to their instruments. So it went with their instruments, like, automatically. That's pretty awesome. So it was like the board kind of like pretty much automatically adjusted itself and just went, and it was just, it was amazing. It reminds me of a rock and roll version of those people that have their elaborate Christmas lights set up yeah. set to music. That's what it reminds me of when you described it to me. I could see those people with their little... You know, like uh, from that terrible Christmas movie, Deck the Halls, with uh, Danny DeVito. Yeah. How he had that big setup set to music and his lights and stuff like that. Yeah, but, I mean, Soundgarden was a good Christmas. And what's funny is that Chris Cornell actually told a story mid-set. So he goes, I want to tell you guys something. I, I went to bed last night late. I didn't go to bed until 7 o'clock in the morning. And he goes, and the alarm was set for 8.30. Ugh. But the thing was, is that I didn't set the fucking alarm. He goes, the person before me who had the room set the alarm, and the alarm clock was set. So I did what anybody would do and threw the alarm clock and broke it. Pretty much. And what yeah. came out of the alarm clock but a bunch of weed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's like, so the person right. before him stashed weed in the alarm clock. Which is which is ironic because that wouldn't really wake you up. No. <laughs> I went to my friend. I go, imagine if you were like on acid and watching Nine Inch Nails, dude. It'd be the best trip ever. I could probably. That was probably part of the point of the light show <laughs> was for that. So. You know, tonight we have the Batman thing presented by Tywar Comic Con, which I'm going right. to. You're gonna be there for a little bit. Um, by the way, got, they've got another Mega Nerd Garage Sale on Saturday as well. If we, if you're listening to this on Friday, you can find that on our Facebook page as well. Yep. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so we're going to that, but the best thing is actually the big news I actually talked about on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash downnerdy. I have some big news to announce, and I've actually been, well, volunteered and part volunteered, been, part been invited um, to be taking part at uh, a super podcast, which is taking place during Tiny War Comic Con's party. We have a big party on September 13th, and I've been invited to be one of the guys on the super podcast this will be a live broadcast in front of like over 100 people and I mean it's awesome so I mean, I, I'm honored to be asked by them and be invited by them to do so And I had to politely decline because I'll probably have a two week old child at the time so yeah. I had to bow out but I'm glad she'll be there representing the, the nation yeah but I mean can you imagine like Jameson's two weeks old it's like you know what honey here's a first, our first family trip Let's go to a brewery. Yeah, that would be that would set a real good example. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's it, that'd be amazing. Just have him as little like bottle stein. It'd be hilarious. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that guy that takes his two week old child to a brewery. <laughs> but no, it's the the podcast is gonna be taking place again at the super party that Taiwan Comic Con's having. It's gonna be at O'Connor's Brewing Company on September 13th again, and it's going to be in which is in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, so come out. Check out the show. It's going to be huge. you got me and a bunch of other podcasters, nerd podcasters from around the uh, the region. And so it's going to be fun. And it's going to be a drunken fun time. Make sure you make your big uh, cardboard signs that say down and nerdy on them so you can hold them up during the show. Or the, the big heads. And show the love. Yeah, get, get a big big get a big Nick head. But that's what's going to do it for our when we did it on the weekend, just our intro. Coming up next is what we're reading. And we got a couple of cool books actually this week actually when do we not have a couple cool books uh, for a segment but coming up next again what we're reading stay tuned more down nerdy coming up next well I know that last week we covered San Diego Comic Con so this time we're going to dive back into our regular format and talk about what we're reading and it should be no surprise what Nick's been reading this week yeah um, I'm a huge Deadpool fan and I don't give a shit who knows that 
Uh, actually, it's not really a bad thing. You should be allowed to be a big fan of something, though. So many people that do broadcast try and be like straight guy down the middle. No, you should be allowed to be a fan, and that goes for anybody and any of our fans as well. Be a fan. Screw everybody else. So, so as you all know, in the Deadpool run, if you read the, reg- the regular Deadpool comics, um, he's married. He, you know, issue number twenty-seven was the Deadpool wedding, uh, and it was a big mystery of like, okay, who is he marrying? And it's being Shikra, who is. The was the then fiance of Dracula, so what I'm reading now is a a prelude to it. It's a you know it's it's like a prequel kind of thing. Yeah, it's a very prequel as comic. It's Deadpool, Dracula's Gauntlet, and it's amazing because what it does is it sets up how they met. How it wasn't just like Deadpool just met her and was like, okay, we're gonna get married. No, the the story is written by Brian Posehn and Jerry Dugan. And of course, the penciling and storyboards are done by uh, our friend Riley Brown, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and the art, the inking is awesome, and the art's great. I mean, you understand it? It's, it's pretty much if you read the regular Deadpool comic, it's pretty much similar to that um, in terms of art style. But it is actually the storyline. Like I said, it says how Deadpool and his wife met, and pretty much how it starts off is with an issue one. I mean. I'm on issue four right now, so it's issue five came out this week, so I'm gonna go pick that up from our buddy Bob over at Fancy Escape. Um, but it starts off with Dracula, Dracula um, contracting Daredevil. Jesus Christ, I can't get Daredevil and Deadpool out. Well, of you know head. they had Daredevil news popped up today. You probably saw it, so that was yeah. what it was. So he contracts Deadpool and says, "Hey, I need you to go get my wife." And he's like, "Okay, cool. Where is she?" He's like, "She's way over on the other side of the world." And she's in a tomb. <laughs> and he goes, okay. So he goes to get to get her, and he pretty much has these certain amount of days. And the reason why to get her, and the reason why Dracula is marrying her is because if he marries her, he gets control of the whole underworld pretty much. It's oh. it's it's pretty much that. Then, it's like royal families marrying each other exactly. to expand their kingdom. Kind and of it's beca- also because, and he becomes the ruler because her brothers are dead, supposedly. So anyways... Well, Deadpool is off, you know, get, getting her casket and bringing her back. Her brothers actually show up at Dracula's mansion. Oh, of course. And are like, you know, and Dracula's like, oh, shit. He's like, you know, I can't take over, you know, as the ruler if they're, you know, alive. Mm-hmm. And so, long story short, uh, Deadpool meets his wife and they just, you know, there's just some instant attraction to them. And it's pretty awesome because they they use this to develop, like I said, what happens now in the current Deadpool run, where Dracula is hunting Deadpool, so he's going to get you know Deadpool's going back in time, getting Dazzler and fighting all these vampires and slaying mm-hmm. them and stuff like that. So it, it says like, okay, well, why is is Dracula so pissed at Deadpool? It's like, well, this is why. Yeah, now <laughs> you know why because he stole his woman. Yeah, and so when you get the real backstory. But the, the writing is just, it's great because they introduce these new characters like Hydro Bob, Hydro Bob and, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. I mean, Hydro Bob's not really a new character, but they in the comic series, it, you know, as the arc goes along, they introduce him and other characters like, like uh, uh, you know, Wolfman, stuff like that. Right. But they have, like, statistics. Like, you know, when you jump to a panel, it's like, like you know, Wolf by Night. Uh, name, alias. It's like, really? Seriously? Like this? It's, but it's Deadpool. Like a bio. <laughs> it's a bio, but it's written very Deadpool, very tongue-in-cheek. Mm. You know, like, 
like weapons, long claws, and turns into a big giant dog. Marvel's <laughs> got a, a knack for doing that with a lot of their comics. If they're introducing a character that might not be so well known or not really specific to their right. multiverse, they they do that pretty well, actually. So, long story short, Deadpool falls in love with Dracula's fiance. And to wrap it all up, I mean, it's still going. I believe it's a seven-issue series. It is, yeah. So you know, issue five came out. So we got a couple more issues to see, you know, how it goes. And it's tying in very well too. I mean, I'm currently reading both the the current Deadpool run and Dracula's Gauntlet, and it's not like, oh my god, I just got to start Dracula's Gauntlet and work my way into Deadpool. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it makes really well, <laughs> you know. Um, but you, you read this, and it's like, oh my god, Dracula's getting pissed. Like, where's my wife? Where is this? And he ends up. Like I said, Wolf by Night goes out, and then Wolf by Night comes back. Kind of, you know, I fail, I couldn't get him. And then Dracula's like, okay, he assumes literally the Avengers of Monsters. And it's Universal Monsters in a Marvel comic. So, wow. so it ends with the panel of like him saying, you know, the mummy, and the mummy's there, and Frankenstein's there, you know, and it's just, it's. Well, they were there for the wedding anyway. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean. That, so it's pretty awesome because it's like, oh my god, I'm getting like these Necro Avengers right. and right. going as Deadpool, which is great. So if you've got the Mummy and Frankenstein and all those guys and they're like your groomsmen, what do you get them for their groomsmen gifts? What do you, what do you even do there? Um, I, I don't. I, I'd say maybe a car battery for Frankenstein. Yeah, I thought that would be nice. Maybe a, maybe like you know a, a nice you know gift certificate to like a, a hairstylist for the Wolfman. And get some grooming. Take him to PetSmart. Yes. <laughs> um, and for the mummy, maybe like a roll of Charmin. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, I guess. I mean, I, I, maybe the really nice ace bandages, you know, the ones that hook up to themselves. Yeah, you know, detached. Not, like the, not like the ones in Clerks where, you know, they chafe your ass. Like, I mean, I'm talking about that nice two-ply yeah, Charmin really toilet paper. St- yeah, you know, like, yeah. like Charmin back in the days at Dr. Whipple, he was like, you got to squeeze the Charmin. That kind of stuff. That's just stuff you want to jump on a pile of, basically. Yeah. Yes. I'm just curious, you know. What would you do? What would you do? I mean, what would you what would you give him? Even can't though, get him a certificate gift certificate to Best Buy. That just wouldn't make any sense. No, you can't really, you know, give the mummy, you know, hey, go to a roller coaster. You know, here's a trip to a theme park, and your his his wrap gets stuck in a track, and it's you see like, what happens when the mummy unravels, man. It's not it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It looks kind of like. Well, I mean, I've seen Cody early in the morning. It looks like Cody when he's oh, early in the God. morning. Oh God, you had to. Oh wow. It's not a pretty sight. Uh, no, it's not. Not at all. Angry too. So that's, angry too. That's even worse. Angry, angry, and just full of piss and vinegar. Yeah, pretty much. One more than the other, of course. Yes. <laughs> so now you, you you're reading something done that's actually we talked about kind of last week during our Comic Con episode, and it's done by one Robert Kirkman. Yeah, and I actually added this to my poll right before the announcement was made about Outcast. Being a series on on uh, Cinemax, it's going to be coming up. So it's actually a run done by the Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman, art by Paul Azteca, and uh, colors by Elizabeth Brit- Britweiser. Kind of a German name there. And <laughs> here's one thing that I noticed before I dive into this: um, your what? wife, wait, your wife is German, like full on German, and you can't say the German name. Well, the, if I did it, you've the been Ger- together how long? If I did it the German way. If I look at it and really study it, it's Breitweiser. Okay. That would be the German... Honey, there you go. That would be the German pronunciation of the name. But one of the things that was interesting about this book, before I get deep into it, is normally the lettering is just kind of there in a book. 
But for this one, the letters by Russ Wooten, it jumped off the page. It was a very unique lettering style. Uh, when there was an enunciation, it was just drawn differently. It was presented differently. Right. And, th- you know, that's typical for comics anyway, but it, it, for, for some reason, it just jumped off the page. So this was one of the first times I read a comic and thought, wow, the lettering really makes a difference. That's kind of like, like going back to Deadpool's Dracula's Gauntlet, like just with the art in general, like it really pops. Like it, it's very detailed. Um, you know, when his, you know, his wife, she transforms into this beast from time to time. Mm-hmm. She's pissed. And it's just like the transformation sequences, they show panel by panel, and just final thing, it's very detailed. It's like, it's, it's very, very sexy. Now, I will say that the art, uh, it's okay. Uh, the art by Paul as as tech it's 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 okay. Right. It's not great art, but the story by Robert Kirkman really makes up for that. So with the art now, what kind of like art is it? Is it kind of more like what we see like with Original Sin, like in the comic, like from like the cover, like cover art, from like issue two, or is it all kind of like you know, or even to use our, our buddy's example, Drew Moss, like with Crow with Pestilence, is it kind of more like you know, kind of you feel like a chalkboardish, like kind of a chalky kind of type. It's more of like a, it's more of an art that I would say is based more on the coloring than inking. Okay. If that makes sense, um, you know how the colors tend to, to blend in more, and then you have yeah. other art that's that the inks are very defined. I wouldn't say the inks are very defined here. I think that this is more uh, based on the color than anything else and, and the colors are, are are definitely good but the story actually centers around a character named Kyle Barnes and he's basically plagued by demon possession but the thing I didn't realize before I added this book was it's not him that's plagued with the possession right it's people around him so his stepmother was uh, was possessed by a demon turns out his wife was uh, possessed by a demon as well now the problem that they have is is that um what happens is he kind of lives by himself. He lives alone now because everybody thinks he beat his family. Right. That he beat up his little girl and his wife. Well, what people don't know is his wife was attacking the child, you know, possessed by a demon. Right. So the child got beat up. He attacks the wife to, to get her off the child. And now, you know, he says, who would believe me if I told them this story? And he figures nobody would. So he just kind of tries to disappear. But his sister always tries to... You know, she wants to take him out out in the world. She wants to buy him groceries, even though everybody thinks he's this horrible human being. It's his sister. She loves him, you know? So, um, make a long story short, because I don't want to go through the whole uh, two issues here. Uh, Keeping himself isolated, the sister kind of drags him out, gets him some groceries. They stop at a gas station, and he runs into this priest that tried to help his mother when, uh, when he was younger. And he's kind of, you know, get the hell away from me. I don't want to talk to you. But he says there's this family that I think you can really help. Right. So he, long story short, again, he agrees to go with the priest to help this this young boy and his family. And the boy's clearly possessed. The actual first issue starts out with this boy and his family. And he's basically gnawing off his own hand. This actually reminds me, I mean, if anybody who's anybody seen The Exorcist, it's like the one priest when he go, you know, the, the younger priest kind of follows the grizzled veteran or whatever into this home mm. of this, you know, possessed, you know, child So or with Reagan. So it's kind of like, that's what I'm, I'm getting the basis of. It's kind of like a prequel kind of thing, like how he became to know it's, this priest and just... It's it's kind of... It's, it's, kind got, of, it's very Constantine-esque, too. Yeah, they anytime you're talking about demons, there's going to be winks and nods to, to storylines like that. But it definitely took a nice, unique take. Um, they bring him in... 
to uh, to talk to this kid, and he's like, don't look directly at him. And the kid keeps, he says he knows, he knows Kyle somehow. So Kyle's like, what the hell are you talking about? You don't know me from anybody. And then yeah. he starts calling him an outcast, and he says he needs him. They need him, he keeps saying, and it's very creepy. And then all of a sudden, this boy just attacks him. I mean, just jumps on him, just grabbing him, hitting him, kicking him, everything. The priest tries to help. The priest gets kicked in the face. So they end up going back in. They take a break. They end up going back in, and he attacks Kyle again, but this time he bites his hand. But when he bites his hand, the blood from Kyle's hand drips into the demon's mouth and burns the child. Whoa. And the demon comes flying out of the kid and takes off. So he's like, so Kyle's like, what the hell just happened? It's kind of like a holy water effect. Yeah, and the priest is like, I've never seen anything like that before. I told you that you had a gift. I knew you could help. And he's starting to think, wow, maybe I'm not a loser after all. And even though these demons seem to follow me wherever I go, now I need to know why. Because clearly this is something that I was meant to do for some reason. Can I kind of guess, though? Um, how and why the demon flew out when the blood touched him. I think, and it's just a wild guess. I haven't read this at all. But just knowing what I know from this horror genre and just the demon genre in general, something's got to happen. There's got to be something maybe down the line in future issues where he finds something like his father was either an angel, some sort of archangel, or just like... The, a priest or some high priest I'm, I'm thinking that's probably where they're going to go. The mother, is, they don't really talk about the dad because he is adopted. Right. So he ended up being adopted by this family, the whole family. The father was a bastard, used to beat him up, and then the mother ended up being possessed as, right. after that. So, But his um, biological father probably was going to be some sort of like yeah, archangel. Yeah, I, I would think so, thing. but they don't really mention a whole lot about his biological parents. Uh, now, in the second issue, which, which just came out, uh, Kyle goes and visits his mother, his adopted mother, in the in the hospital, and that's a little, you know, he's like, I used to hate you, and I, now I understand maybe you were the victim too, kind of thing. And uh, the brother-in-law, his brother-in-law, who's his sister's husband, thought he was a bastard too, and he's a police officer, right? So he's been watching him the whole time, and they finally uh, they ran into they run into the stepdad, and Kyle beats the shit out of the stepdad in the street, and the cop and his brother-in-law cop. Uh, brother-in-law sees it, breaks it up, and then he says, that's the guy that used to beat us when we were kids, and then the cop beats the guy up, too. So it's very, like, Sonny from the godfather ass. Kind of, yes. <laughs> and, the, and the cop brother-in-law actually said, if I see you in this town again, I'll kill you myself. Wow. And then, of course, the cop does the whole, nothing to see here, folks, kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then at the very end, I want to fast forward to the end of the second issue where uh, a guy that was in the priest's church earlier in the second issue shows up at the hospital with... Um, with his with Kyle's adoptive mother and says and talking to her and she's basically catatonic. Right. The kid tells she's in a coma or if she's catatonic, but uh, he says, you know, you've tried so hard to keep us from him, and he'll never know how much you tried to fight, and now we're gonna get him anyway, and right. that's how it ends. So it was very creepy. It's like, who is this guy? Is he like head demon guy or who is this guy? So. Just very, it's it was very interesting, and I got to say, for a two ninety nine book, a lot of pages, right. a lot of content. One of the other things that jumped out at me was the art is, I mean, not the art, the ads are at the end of the book, right? So there's no, and I know that you have to have ads in, in comics. Mm. I, I get that, and you know, sometimes you read Marvel and DC, they're kind of 
in between. They're in the story, so it's right. almost like a commercial during a TV show. So you're like, ah, damn it, I just want to get to the next page. So this leaves them to the end, so there's no breakup in the story. It's all content, which I thought was a really cool thing to do. And I got to say, I would definitely say, put this in your poll now. Uh, it's going to be one of those books that the story, you feel bad for this guy right off the bat. Kyle, you feel so bad for him. Right. And even though you know you don't know whether he beats his family or not, and then you find out he really didn't. That's yeah. not the whole story. But, I mean, from the get-go, you feel bad for him. You see how how much in squalor he's living, and you're like, what the hell happened to this guy? Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to my comment, you know, Deadpool, Dragon's Gauntlet, it's, it's that I didn't, didn't give my rating. I gave it, it's a definite poll. Um, I've noticed my polls a lot. I've got, I've had a lot of like seven issue sets and, you know, four of four. No, I have a lot of monthlies or, or short weeklies, but I mean, the, 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 the penciling by Riley is great. The art's great. And what's great is they kind of set it up, like I said, uh, the story is done by Jerry Dugan and Brian Passane, so it's kind of like Dugan gets like kind of a half, and Brian Passane gets kind of a right, half. Right. Um, but it's set up so perfectly, like it melds together. It's not like two different total mindsets. Um, you know the way that how they show how Deadpool meets Shikla. You know his wife is is pretty astounding because, like I said, it's kind of like you know he, at first he was kind of like, "Whoa, you're kind of a crazy bitch," and then mm-hmm. he's just like. But you're my kind of crazy, you know. It's 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 really you know great. Um, just like you see the relationship that they have, and they introduce different characters from the Marvel universe, like Blades in it for a little bit. Uh, Modok is in it, you know. I mean, they get captured by AIM, so of course you have Modok in of there. Of course, yeah. Um, but it, it's it's really awesome, you know. It's it's a definite pull. Yeah, I, I felt the same way about Outcast, and and as I was, and it's very. Now I will caution you with this: it's very graphic. Uh, there's a lot of heavy language in it too, so definitely not for the not when you want to sit down and read with the kids. Uh, it's it's very well from The Walking Dead. You would kind of assume yeah. that anyway, but it actually made me start thinking as I finished reading this because I'm not a Walking Dead fan. Because I, I zombies, I don't like zombies. I don't like any zombies crap. I don't like you don't it. like you don't like but you don't like the original George Romero's Dawn of the Dead though. I mean, it was or okay, but Dead? it's 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 not my thing. Really, it's not really my thing. I mean, it was okay. I saw it. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I thought it was fantastic. It's, I love um, George Romero's work. It just, it just, it just wasn't. It's zombies in general. It's not. It's got nothing to do with him. Right. It's just zombies in general. I, I hate. I hate the. It's whole oversaturated. Thing. The market's exactly. oversaturated. And, but it actually made me think because people always tell me, "Oh, you need to try The Walking Dead because it's not just about zombies." When I was done reading this, knowing that Kirkman's a part of that, I'm like, "Well, maybe they're right about The Walking Dead." Yeah. Maybe I do need to. Check and and out Kirkman after all. even said, you know, at Comic Con last week, he was like, "Demons are going to be the new, the next big thing." And I've always been more fascinated by those kind of stories, so that was that's one of the reasons why I wanted to check out Outcast in the first place. And the thing is, too, is because the Zombie Apocalypse. I'm sorry, people, it's not going to. As much as a, of a nerd or geek you you are, there's so many different bodies. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson, I believe, explains like why it's never going to happen. Yeah, He's, you know, but. If you believe in the occult or you believe in the, the demonic possessions, which in certain cases is a real thing. Yeah, I mean, well, know, I mean, as far as as far as the zombie apocalypse goes, not a believer. If you're a believer, you know, that, hey, that's your thing. Not yeah. going to judge you. You know, build your bomb shelters. Yeah. Get the get the canned pudding down there in the canned pudding. In what the, the fuck? It's a Walking Dead thing. Okay, it's a Walking Dead thing. So, um, you know, get in your the little panic room shelters with all your canned goods and. Nice. I will see you there if it ever happens. I'll knock down your door and I'll see you there. But I, to me, it's it's not going to happen. So, no, but I mean, demon possession, 
I, there's, you know, some crazy stories out there, and maybe they're true, maybe they're not, but this yeah. is more... You, you kind of almost feel more like this could happen. Yeah. Than that's, a zombie apocalypse. And that's the thing, too. It's kind of like, you know, like my mom, for example. Well, she'll watch zombies. She'll watch horror stuff with me or whatever, you know, whenever I'm up in New York, you know, visiting, um, even when I was in high school. But just anything that has to do with this, she will not watch because she's like, it's, it's too close to home for her. Well, and, and my wife likes the, uh, she doesn't like the whole zombie thing either. She's not a big monster movie fan. Right. But anything like this, you know, oh, she's demons and into ghosts, it. and yeah, she is all about it. So this is one of those things that uh, that she will like as well. So I know I said a lot of times, your wife's fucking awesome. Dude. She is. She's she amazing. Really is. That's why I married her. <laughs> Pam, Pam, if you're listening, you're fucking awesome. <laughs> I think she knows. Too. Oh, she does. I think she knows just a little bit, but that's what we're reading this week. We won't have quite as much nerd news coming up, but we have to talk about what everybody's been talking about. Our review of Guardians of the Galaxy is up next on Down and Nerdy. A long time ago, really a long time ago, like short time, like last Friday, kind of, maybe last Wednesday or Thursday if you got the uh, early sneak preak screening. Um, you can hear the sound of J.J. Abrams going, fuck, we can't do a Han Solo movie because this has already been done. <laughs> In a way, you're kind of right, exactly. Because Guardians of the Galaxy, whether you saw it early, whether you saw it this past weekend, came out to a huge success, over $90 million. They predicted 70 million. Yeah. But I got to say, not surprised. The big marketing machine from Marvel really did a job on that. Well, I mean, speaking of, let's talk about that before diving into the movie. The marketing... Every channel you flipped through, it was an ad. Just like flipping through ad, ad for Guardians of the Galaxy, and, and rightfully so because when it was first announced that Guardians of the Galaxy was being made, people were going, "What? Who's Guardians, yeah, of the who are Guardians of the Galaxy?" So Marvel had to like say, "Hey, we got you know put a lot of money oh, yeah, in I, marketing." I mean, I complained about it, but don't get me wrong; I know why they did it. Oh yeah. not everybody knows who the guard. I mean, pretty much everybody knows who Captain America is, but you know, Guardians of the Galaxy? No, not well, so much. Well, well, especially because you know, people mostly they didn't know really know Star Lord; they mostly knew Rocket Raccoon. Like, right. if, if you knew Guardians of the Galaxy, the one person you mostly knew of was Rocket Raccoon. Right. Exactly. Um, and you know. And that's the thing is people are like, well, wait, Marvel is releasing a movie where like one of the lead characters is a talking, you know, bionic raccoon. Yeah, and then a talking tree too, by the way. Yes. I can only say three words. So you'd have to understand why the general movie going public would go, really? This is what we're doing? Yeah. So, I mean, they marketed it well and it clearly paid off because... um, I think that this is one of those franchises that just suddenly just exploded. Oh yeah, and and not only that, but like they're the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, awesome mixtape volume one. This this the yes. soundtrack. It's like I think it's the number one or it's like top three sellers well, on iTunes. Justifiably right now. so. I mean, those are some uh, those are some classic. Hits you're talking about. I mean, Hooked on a Feeling. Yeah. I mean, come on. Not just that song. There was a ton of other ones on And the thing is, too, is, you know, going into the movie, you're like, well, wait a minute. It's directed by James Gunn, who did Slither. Like, like, thing, like I made a J.J. Abrams joke earlier. It's like, you think J.J. Abrams is sitting in the theater going, this fucking guy made Slither. Like, yeah. oh, shit. Like, we can't do a Han Solo movie. Like, like, mm-hmm. because Peter Quill is hot. Chris Pratt. His, like, like if there's an explosion happening right now in Hollywood for an actor or an actress, it's Chris Pratt. Boy, did the Jurassic World folks get him at the right time. Yeah. Huh? Oh wow. my God. I mean, because he's just awesome. Because the the, the comedy, like I said, we we said before the movie was released, like this is a movie that's not going to be 
your your Marvel movie. That was kind of like my main fear. I'm like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't know how. This is before all the reviews started coming out for it. I'm like, I don't know how people are going to react to it. I'm optimistic about it, but you know, it's, I have a feeling that people are going to go in expecting it's going to be like the regular standard Marvel formula. Yeah. But it's not. Like, you not know, at all. Not at all. It felt more like you know you're you're watching, you know, for lack of a better movie or name, Star Wars. It's like you're watching a galactic. It was movie. Like, imagine that you took the story and atmosphere of Star Wars and combined it with Spaceballs. Yes. As far as humor goes, so you take the humor from Spaceballs and add it to a more serious story of Star Wars, and you've got Guardians of the Galaxy. And the thing was too is is what was great is that the movie when they're going to places like nowhere or, or you know these backgrounds about people like when they're just giving you backgrounds about who the guardians are when they get captured and arrested, you know they're not beating over hell like okay this is who this person is da 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 da, da. they do it in a much lighter hey here's who this guy is you know just quick background no need to get in depth right like too when, heavily deep into when it when they went to the Nova's planet they didn't really go in depth as to what it was and who they were but. They also gave you that feeling like it wasn't necessary, almost like it was another Earth-like planet, yeah. and that's all you need to know, kind of thing. Yeah, and it, and the reason why too is I think because you know this is Guardians of the Galaxy. This isn't just their galaxy because they're going to be tied into more likely Avengers three. Right. So I mean, this is like I mean they even make an Earth reference to after it. I mean even the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I mean the, it'll Peter be Peter Quill is abducted, you know, by by uh, uh, Yondu, Yondu yep. on Earth, and you know the Ravagers. And so it's just it's it's really great and holy Christ Yandu was amazing he really was they cast that very very well before we get to that though can I say that opening scene with Peter Quill and his mom oh my god and that I was not prepared for that no. I was not ready for that at all because you think like in most movies like Marvel wise they start off kind of like they build up but it's more like like higher spirited mm. kind of thing. No, and I'm not. This isn't really a spoiler because you've seen the movie. You've seen the Get movie. Well, that, but just also, um, it, it's right in the beginning of the movie. His mother's dying of cancer. Yeah, and and she dies like right. Like, she goes, "Take my hand," and he doesn't because yeah. he's just like she's not gonna be here anymore. You know, he's a little kid, and so and it ties into like why he has the whole headphones on and it, why he's so protective of this cassette tape. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, he he when like when they're arresting him and yeah. they're going into the prison, and that one of the guards of the prison puts on the head. Oh yeah, it's in the trailer. And he basically yeah, from the trailer, and he basically tries to attack this guy, and he gets what, what's not in the trailer is how much he gets tased for trying yeah, to get this a lot. player. And then when they're trying to escape the ship, they're basically things are you know they're blowing up around them, and they're getting ready to get caught at any second, blown out of the sky. No, he goes back. For this tape, he has to have it. It's that important. So it's a theme throughout the entire movie, kind of. And I thought that was a really cool thing. And it was a really good thing because it, it tied together a bunch of important things that happened in the beginning of the film. And it was just, like I said, it, it, it was just, it was amazing because, you know, going into it, and, you know, Bradley Cooper was amazing as Rocket. Like, you know, it, it, it didn't sound like Bradley no, Cooper. No, it didn't sound like him at all, which was which was very cool, I thought. I, I was like, wow, Bradley Cooper can do that? I didn't know he had that in him kind of thing. I mean, obviously the dialogue. Yeah. He had that in him, but the ability to kind of alter the voice like that. You never really thought of Bradley Cooper as like a voice actor. Yeah. But he really did a good job. By the way, the the, the um, it was brought up that I think it was James Gunn's brother, I believe. He did the motion capture for Rocket. 
mm-hmm. I believe. And, um, or maybe not Rocket, but he did it for a character. And there's this, this scene where we are standing in the room and Rocket just goes, like, okay, right now we're just a bunch of assholes or pricks standing in a circle. Mm-hmm. That was improvised. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that was, it was great. I think, and almost seemed like a lot of Rocket's uh, stuff was improvised. I know it wasn't, but it, it, it came across like that it. way, and that was a very cool thing. And I think that the, the uh, Drax character, I didn't expect that, as much humor out of that character, but the way he took things literally. Yeah. Like when, they, when he was talking about killing Ronan, and Peter Quill says... You know, you can, and he does the throat slashing motion. He's like, why would I touch my finger to my throat? Well, I want him to die. Well, that's the thing. Like that. Dave Batista, you know, he's a wrestler, former wrestler with WWE. When he was brought on, people were like, okay, he's just going to be the muscle guy. He's not going to be good with an acting like, He was the biggest risk of everything. He played it so, and that's what benefited, was the fact that he played it so deadpan, mm-hmm. and that Drax was so deadpan as a character that it worked. And he, he was, was great. Fantastic. He was phenomenal. You really got to get it only because he's the, I guess, non-actor of the group. Yeah, you, I think you got to give him more credit than anybody else because yeah. wow. I mean, granted, it's he has less to do. Yeah, as a, as an actor with a role like that, but he did exactly what he was supposed to do and added a humor element into it. Well, that's the thing, like you two talk about why I touched my face, my throat. You know, there's another scene where, you know, Star Lord is like. I just went right over your head. He goes, it would not go over my head. Yeah. I would jump over and ca- like, I'll jump up and catch it. And when he ca- casually calls Gamora a green whore is to get rid of yeah. walk in <laughs> to beat up to go after Ronan and she's like, Hey, what the hell? kind yeah. of thing. So there's just a lot of random and I really like that kind of humor. It's just sort of random and it just sort of yeah. happens. And that's the thing, you know, Zaldana's Gamora was great. Or or Gamora, I should say. Um, but you know, you look at him, we talk about Ronan, you know, the accuser, and here's the thing, the only problem I had with this movie, I love the movie to death, it was great, it was really, I think, one of the, as of the summer right now, I don't count Captain America as I count it as a spring, yeah, summer, best summer movie definitely. of this year, definitely. Um, but what I kind of confused me a little bit was that Ronan, you know, he, one thing I didn't like was that, you know, of course, Thanos is in it for a little bit and he speaks and everything. Ronan does shit to Thanos like he talks back to him and everything else and Thanos is kind of like playing it off as that that dad just goes whatever. Yeah, he just kind of takes it which I mean I, I realize that's your, that's your family but still this is Thanos we're talking about. The Thanos I know would have said you know what screw you I'm going to come kill you now because I'm Thanos and nobody talks to me like that. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that, you know, I didn't get. Like, wait a minute. This is before, you know, what happens with, you know, we find out, because this is going to be the Infinity Gauntlet, what happens with this, one of the stones. And, um, you know, it, it's it's like, well, wait a minute. This is before Ronan's kind of like almighty and powerful mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, you know, he's just a whipping boy to Thanos, and it's just like, it's the roles reversed. It's like, really? Like, Thanos isn't that, uh, you know, isn't that, uh, uh, I want to say, I'm trying to think of, think of the word. He's not as adamant or a, as hardcore of a like an evil guy. Like, when you see Thanos, it's kind of like, he's like a pushover. Yeah, well, he really, he's literally like, it, like the, the most fierce, the most feared guy in the whole Marvel universe. And one of the things that got me was when Ronan's standing in front of Thanos yeah. at, at one point. You know, he goes to, he summons him, so Ronan goes to Thanos. Thanos sits there, 
And and while basically Ronan's failed him at this point. Now the Thanos I know would have been a little more forceful. He would have got yeah. up off his chair, maybe grabbed him a little bit, you know, tossed him around a bit. That's Thanos, and that didn't happen. So if he's, there was a miss, I think that was a miss. Thanos was like the father where he's in the recliner all day, and he's like, "Oh hey, why are you gonna go destroy the world? Grab me a beer, will you?" Yeah, like he's like he's aggravated, like he's that dad that's kind of like pissed off at the world, but he's not gonna get up to do anything about yeah. it, kind of thing. So that I think that was kind of a miss. Another thing for me. Uh, I I could have done I could have had more Nebula. Yeah. I oh my god. That, I thought that she was fantastic, and I thought some of the best action as far as fight sequences in the movie were Gamora and Nebula. Yeah. And we didn't because get, they're sisters. They had that close, yeah. you know, that close thing. You know, we, we didn't get enough of enough of that. I think so. I hope that they revisit that character uh, at some point. But I just think the the, the humor throughout the whole thing was great. Um, but the fee- the the feelings that you, that were brought out in this movie, right? The uh, you know it got kind of deep at times. I know you and I were talking about Groot uh, when he's protecting him there at the end. Oh, dude, I was says, gonna cry. Rocket says, "Don't do this. You're gonna die." And he gives you this this kind of sad "I am Groot" thing. No, and, we are Groot. Yeah, you know, we are Groot. That's what it was. And and then of course it happens at the end, and he's you know in pieces and. You know, Drax and Rocket kind of have a moment there towards the end, and yeah. they sl- the team slowly comes together, and I think that was part of it. That but that's the thing that they that don't. Com- that seems that they don't come together literally until the last twenty minutes of the film, pretty much. Yeah, it's very slow and progressive, and it's basically a group of outcasts that didn't have friends, well, and now well, slowly but surely they kind of do. I wouldn't say outcasts. As Peter Quill said, he goes, I see losers. We're losers. Mm-hmm. As in not that we suck, but we've all lost something. We've lost planets. We've lost family members. We've mm-hmm. lost friends. You know, that's what com- brings us together. You know, because in the beginning of the film, Peter Quill has a, a bounty on his head. So that's why, like, rockets after him with Groot. Yeah, and, they were actually trying to capture him yeah. at one point. And, of course, he's got... Unbeknownst to him, he has the Infinity Stone Stone in this orb that he was sent to get in the beginning of the movie. So then Gamora is sent by Thanos, well, Ronan, Ronan. you know, via Thanos, via to Thanos. go recover this orb, the Infinity Stone, from Quill, unbeknownst to him. So there's whole... They're fighting each other at one point right near the Nova Corps, and that's how they end up getting arrested. Now, we talked about Yandu and how awesome. Like, Michael Rooker did an amazing job, and I think here's the thing. The, the scene with, with Yandu who has that, the arrow he controlled by whistling, mm. that to me is like really one of the best. You know how you have that one in, in most superhero films, you have that one thing where the one guy is kind of surrounded, mm. and he just does something, he or she does something that's so badass. It's like, oh my God. Well, the scene with him, the arrow, is kind of like, to me, what the scene, you know, um, with uh, uh, Quicksilver in, in, in X-Men Days of Future Past was. It was like, oh my god, this is like, so badass. It's like that, that badass kind of moment. Or even like with Hulk in The Avengers where he grabs Loki mm-hmm. and just bashes Loki and stuff. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a moment from a character you didn't expect to have a moment. And yeah. when that thing just shoots through all those guys, and, and he just whistles, amazing. Go. Now, and and the thing about Michael Rooker too is 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 Cody would say he's a that guy. Oh yeah, he's a that guy. He's well, a that guy. You put him in the not right anymore place. though because he's with the whole Walking Dead thing. I mean, he's, right? Well, he he was a that guy, not so much not anymore. So much more. But I mean, you he's one of those guys where if you put him in the right situation, he's going to excel. And I think he showed that 
as Yondu. And I like when he opens up the orb at the end and, and the he sees doll. the troll doll there. He just smiles like that son of a bitch because he knows kind of thing. But it wasn't like it was like if you know I'm gonna kill him. It was more of just like. He, you know, hey. Yeah, like you tricky bastard yeah. kind of thing. But I mean, like, Karen Gillan played Nebula, and she was amazing. Like, it was, like, literally one of the most, f- um, fear, not just fiercest, but f- somebody that made me fearful as a character. She was deadly. Yeah. But, but at the same time, she was like that angry daughter that doesn't get enough attention from daddy kind of thing. She was the Jan to, to Gamora's Marsha. Yeah, exactly. Marcia. And, uh, I just, and then, but when she fought, just the way she... I don't want to get creepy or anything because it's not like I have a thing for her, but just the way she moved in her choreography with the fight scenes and yeah. stuff, it was fantastic. It was very fluid. Yeah, it was know? very fluid. Like I said, as far as action goes, I think that was another thing that kind of this movie was kind of missing. As far as the fight scenes, especially with Ronan, weren't, weren't epic. That's the thing. is that It wasn't really much of a fight scene. It was more of just, you know... Whatever, but I mean, but the thing was, but when she and Gamora were going, oh god, other, yeah, that was that was the all right, let's throw down kind of moment in the movie. Yeah, so I mean, but the one a character we haven't really touched on, um, and there's a character that was you know uh, teased at the end of Thor: The Dark World, which is collect the collector made by you know by Benicio del Toro. So I mean, what did you really think of? Him in, in terms of a character, it was very, it was definitely creepy, and you kind of got that vibe uh, at the end of Thor: The Dark World. I think it was one of the ed, end credit scenes where you yeah, saw yeah. him, um, and the whole, you know, basically what he collects, like he the ether. You see, you he see has the ether. ether. You see a lot of the stuff from like Thor: The Dark World. There were a couple of elements there. Um, he, had, uh, he has a Chitari in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, he also has. There's a pod. As like, uh, I don't know who it is, but it's a character in, in Guardians of the Galaxy. They mentioned. They mentioned. I that. can't think of the character's name, but I know who it is. I can yeah. picture him. Um, but he's a big time baddie, and, and it's like, his pod's been teased twice. So you know, it's it's kind of you know, like, yeah, like I said, he had a couple of pop culture things. But like I said, he has like stuff from past films in there. One of them being the Ether, you know, which is another Infinity Stone, pretty much. Exactly. You know. It's, it, to me, it was like I, I kind of expected him to, to play a bigger role, and I didn't expect his, I guess you call it a shop? Yeah. I didn't expect his shop to kind of get destroyed by the Infinity Stone either. So, I mean, maybe that's what unleashes uh, the, the baddie that was wrapped up for the next Guardians movie. Maybe that's how that happens. I kind of expect, I mean, at the end, you kind of get the feeling like he's done. Yeah. And I thought that he was going to play a bigger role in... Uh, the gathering of the Infinity Stones, and maybe you know, at some point he hands them over to Thanos or something. I, I just—that's what I thought. I was getting that like, and, like he was the middleman. That's what I expected from Thor: The Dark World, and that just—it didn't continue in Guardians. I thought that was interesting. Now I'm not saying it had to. I just, especially when you cast a guy like Benicio del Toro, you kind of expect him to play a larger role you know, it is by name recognition right but I mean maybe we were wrong I'm not saying they had to go that route I was just a little surprised and for those of you like us who thought that Nathan Fillion was going to be Nova Prime oops oops <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that, did that, you that, even see him I missed I know who he was I know who he was I knew was. who he was but I did not and I was looking and I did not well that's because he was a spray. that's because he was a CG character that's why that's probably got something to do with it yeah so I mean but I mean, you know, and I was writing, you know, Sean Gunn, he was the onset rocket, so that scene, like I said, yeah. we were standing in the, in the circle. Yeah, he, it was, he improvised that line, it was great. Um, but no, I mean, overall, it, it really was. I mean, there, there were times in the movie where I'm like, wow, this is just pure amazement. You know, the scene with the Nova Corps are making that, that 
barrier oh, around oh, that was very Rowan's cool. ship. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm saying my, my jaw drops. I'm like, oh my god. It's, it's like, like, how do you even do that kind of thing? But it's just, it's just like, you know, going back to what you know, Mike Federale said, you know, he, you know, we're living in a time where we're getting these movies and it's just, years ago, like, like Guardians of the Galaxy came out right at the best time. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, okay, it's going to be part of phase one or even if it was like, Phase five, you know, it came out in a time where it's like, oh my god, we can have a Nova Prime movie. We can yeah. have, you know, you know, it's like, like I said, the main third arc is going to be the Infinity Gauntlet, so it sets up perfectly. I know that in the past, I I was a little critical of this of this decision because I said it was a risk, and I still think it was a risk. But clearly, uh, Marvel knew what they had once it was done, once it was finished. And that's why they went ahead and they made the announcement for the animated series at Comic Con. Yep. Why they, you know, all the merchandising is going to start coming out now. And they announced the second movie. They knew what they had. Well, not just that, but James Gunn even said in an interview, he goes, you know, "Why was this film so sick?" He goes, "Marvel let me do what I wanted to do." He's like, "They didn't, you that's know, a, pull that's any a strings." Big key. That's a big. He's key. like, Mar- you know, and this thing you know, look at something like Ant Man with they were kind of worried, like, "Hey, Edgar Wright, what are you doing? We want you to do this." James was like, yeah, they let me do what I wanted to do. Which is interesting because they're they're doing they gave him that trust and then that same trust isn't really being applied to Ant Man and all Well, way. I think because with Edgar Wright, the movie, I mean he was working on the movie for seven years, so I think Marvel's kinda of like, okay. Yeah, get on with it already. Get, yeah. I can understand that. I mean and it'll be interesting to see where things go from here. Do you think now that in a weird way, Guardians has sort of set some sort of weird bar for future not not movies like Cap 3 or anything like that or Avengers, but movies like Ant-Man for characters that aren't as well-known by the general public. Has Guardians now set a bar for characters like that to meet now? No, I think Guardians set the bar for movies like Star Wars, um, you know, sci- future sci-fi movies, the next Star Trek movie. It set the bar for that because it wasn't, you know, like I said, you look at Guardians and it's like, okay, it's not, it's a Marvel property, but it's not the typical Marvel formula. It's a sci-fi adventure formula. It's more or like a, like a space opera type. I think because it's geared more towards it was definitely geared more towards comedy though than anything else. I don't know. It's going to be difficult, I think, to compare it to a movie like Star Wars, which is not going to be comedy based, or even a Star Trek kind of movie that's not kind. Of, you know, th- things that kind of focus more on drama and action than comedy. Whereas Guardians was a heavy focus well, on comedy. Well, I mean, Star Wars has drama and action, some parts of comedy, but like I said, it's it's. Guardians, it was, I think, was, was the best part about it was that it was, like I said, it wasn't didn't follow the, the standard Marvel formula. It was different. And like I said, when you look at this, you go watch Star Wars next year. You know, it's it's gonna be kind of okay. You know, or, you know, or, or, or you know, and it's gonna be it's gonna it's set the bar in a, in a sense of like, okay, this is what sci-fi needs to be, especially because Star Wars is coming off of the the horrific prequels. It's like, okay, here's the bar that has now been set. And it hasn't been set by anybody. It hasn't been set by Lucas. It hasn't been set by, you know, the, um, you know any other type of inter, an interstellar type of a movie. This is the bar right now, and it comes from a comic book company. So I think that's that's the bar. I think if you're, if you're somebody who's going to sci-fi, you know, especially nowadays where, you know, you look at something like Babylon 5, um, where, you know, the effects just weren't, the greatest, like CG effects, weren't or Battlestar Galactica. You can say Galactica, the same or, thing about Battlestar, yeah. Or Battlestar Galactica, Galactica, you know, where the CG effects weren't the greatest, and now it's like, okay, here's what we expect. Everything was perfect. You have this great interstellar storyline with these different planets. 
this is what we expect. This is the bar, and that's and, and for Marvel to come out and do that, I, I applaud them to do that. And I think they definitely did a good job, and we'll be looking forward to anything else that comes out with Guardians of the Galaxy. But we've got plenty more to look forward to. Going to talk about a ton of nerd news up next on Down and Nerdy. Well, it's that time, boys and girls, nerds and nerdettes alike, where we go around the interwebs and look up the hottest and best nerd stories from around the interwebs that Al Gore created. It's time for what, James? Nerd news! And for the first story, well, deals with webheads. Basically, it does, because Sony is at it again. We've already talked about Sinister Six, and we'll talk a little bit more about Venom here in a second, but this time, they're going for more of a female-centric vibe, because Entertainment Weekly is confirming Deadline's reporting that Sony is developing a Spider-Man spinoff starring a female superhero, and they're saying this would be the first... And it would not be the first female superhero comic book movie ever because you had the awful Supergirl movie, <laughs> Catwoman movie, and Elektra. Those count, even though they were bad. So, yeah, I mean, my first thought initially was, okay, where do we really go with this? Well, here's the thing, too, is, is and I, you know, I'm a big Spider-Man fan, and he's my favorite As hero. Am I. As am I. He's my favorite hero. Um, okay, so they moved Amazing Spider-Man 3 to 2018, correct? Uh, yes. Sister Six movie is probably going to be the next movie, which is coming out, which is going to be helmed by Drew Goddard and Kevin in the Woods. Right. Sony has one major comic book property, Spider Man. So what they're doing is they're trying to take the Marvel approach and expand which I upon don't it. Blame them for. But here's the thing, though: you can do that with you can do that with X Men because it's a big team, and you've got several name characters yes. you can split off with. So Fox, Fox can do that with a big franchise but Spider-Man you can't because it's a singular kind of character you know you have Black Cat in there and Spider-Girl which is the route that they would probably go with this is Black Cat but here's my two problems with this movie potentially happening and I and I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily I'm not saying that the female hero shouldn't get well, a movie for me it's more of an I'm not saying that at all what I'm saying is my first question would be uh, where's Spidey during all this? That's the thing. It's like, so they're doing a Sinister Six movie, but Spider-Man's not there. Really? Now they're going to do a female-centric movie, and Spider-Man's not there. What the hell is he doing then? Yeah. So where is he? And then, of course, if you're going to do this, don't you kind of have to introduce this character in the Sinister Six movie then? Yeah. You pretty much do. Because then it wouldn't make sense to just have, let's say it is Black Cat. And they could easily do that. I mean, if she's still working for Harry, you know, maybe she realizes, hey, he's a bad guy. Somebody's got to do something. And she takes up the Black Cat mantle. That makes sense. But at the same time, if you she's don't not- if you don't introduce that in the Sinister Six movie at some point, yeah. then you can't just randomly throw her out there. I mean, that's the thing is that you know, we differ between the comic run and... Uh, a movie, it's like with a movie you're stretching it. You have X amount of minutes you got to fill. You have X amount of movies you got to fill. Certain dates. Um, Black Cat. I'm sorry. It's it's something that I. You know she could be a, a sidekick in the in the in the movie or have a cameo. You know it'd be a secondary character. But as far as holding her own movie, I don't know if that's possible. I mean, we're already talking about if Black Widow can hold her own movie, and now we're thinking Black, Black Widow, Cat. I can. I think Black Widow can hold her own movie if it's her and Hawkeye I'm just together. saying, if, if you're thinking that 
if we're questioning whether or not, and I'm not just saying us, you know, people in general are questioning whether or not Bla- Black Widow could do it, why the hell makes them think that Black Cat's going to be able to do it? Right. And I mean, I understand you could go the Spider-Woman route with Jessica Drew. You could do that too, but where's the foundation for that? Well, that's the thing is that, you know, that's my problem with this whole, with, with Sony having the rights to Spider-Man. And Spider-Woman would be great. I'd love that. Well, here's I don't th- see how you do it. But here's the thing. you have Okay, so you're Sony. Made Spider-Man 2, even though it made a bunch of money, a lot of fans are like, okay, we're not so high on this, you know, as a as a as a, an arc. It's for not a movie. as good as it should be. Yeah, it's, it's still it's still pretty good. Well, not pretty good, but it's still it's still good enough. But it's not as good as yeah. it should be. And it's like so now you want to expand upon this universe, and it's like, but you're only one character, so you're stretching out way too thin. Here's the other problem too. Um, where's the focus on the anchor of the franchise? You're already being criticized for your first two Spider-Man films, so you're going to try and solve that by pushing him off to the side for, what, three years, four years? Yeah. Something like that. 2018 is when he's going to be back on the screen. You're going to make us wait four years for your anchor tenant, as it were, to come back into the fold. So where the hell is he during all this time? Now, I realize you could make... A few movies and and the time elapsed could only be a couple of weeks because it's the magic of Hollywood. So it doesn't have to be a four year gap. But at the same time, if I'm watching a if I'm watching this movie or if I'm watching Sinister Six, if I'm watching the Venom movie, which we'll talk about here in just a second, my my only thought in the back of my head the entire time I'm watching it, no matter how good it is, is where the hell is Spider Man during all this? I think that's the thing is that you know you you know like I said Sony. They, they they try like like I said like, you know they're trying like and I, and I applaud them for trying to say hey here's our big properties our big money maker let's see if we can stretch it out but when you look at it like I brought up the whole comic angle you know Storm has her own comic Black Widow has her own comic you know so it's, it's Black Widow comics actually pretty amazing by the way it's it's, it's, it's very dark brutal. it's, it's way, way more way brutal, more brutal. Um, but when you when it's easier to take a, a, a one character, whereas a lesser-known character or a secondary or third-person character, um, and give them their own comic book and make it really, really good. Mm-hmm. Whereas, hey, let's take this one character who has a relationship with Spider-Man, but give her or him their own movie for two hundred minutes or hundred how many minutes you want to make it. It's good. Well, typically these movies have been over two hours, so you know, ballpark of of something like that is not out of the realm of possibility. But I think something that might make a little bit more sense is the Venom movie that's been talked about for a while now, still rumored for 2017, but now the extra added little, hey, this might happen thing is it might be a Venom Carnage movie. That's the thing, is that it was, I'm actually excited. Now, again, if you're doing a Carnage movie, I'm sorry, it has to be rated R. Cleus Cassidy is a fucking psychopath. <laughs> he is a goddamn psychopath. I mean, if that's the case, I mean... I, and I know that that makes it difficult for to tie in all of the audience that you're going for. I mean, the the way I, I especially mean, if you're going the maximum carnage route. <laughs> the, one of the reasons, one of the ways that they they make PG movies PG thirteen that should be R is cutaways when you go for the more violent scenes. But if you do, you can only have but so many cutaways is what I'm trying to yeah. get at. And with a character like Carnage. You're talking about a lot of cutaways. And Venom, too. Venom's pretty brutal. Now, Carnage is way more brutal yeah. than Venom. But you're talking about these two brutal 
you know, kind of scary as far as kids are as far as kids oh, yeah. are concerned. Scary looking characters duking it out together. That could be visually striking, yes, but how are you gonna keep that PG thirteen? No, I mean Alex Kurtzman at Sullivan, they're working on the script and Kurtzman is actually attached to direct it. But like I said, I would love to see this. You know, because Venom's my you know my all time favorite. Oh well, Carnage is actually my all time favorite Spider Man villain. But I like Venom. Yeah, I mean, but it's if you're gonna have like a Venom versus Carnage movie again, it's gonna be okay. What's the reason why these two guys are going at? Again, you can go the Maximum Carnage route. You well, know. the thing with Carnage is that you know people always say, hey, this is the first villain that Spidey and Venom actually had to team up together yeah. to fight, and that's what makes it great. You could actually lead this right in. To Amazing Spider-Man 3. Oh, yeah. If you wanted to go that route. Now they're saying, you know, maybe Sony's pushing Spider-Man 3 back because they're going to reboot it again in 2018. But here's the thing. If you're going to reboot... <laughs> if you're going to reboot it, why do all this other exactly. stuff? Exactly. But if you're also going to reboot it, why? Like, like, we don't need another origin story. I'm sorry. Spider-Man, we don't... I'm sorry, but I'm a big Spider-Man fan. But they say, oh, if Sony says, okay, and then what they do it to keep the rights. But it's like, okay... We're gonna reboot it again. I'm sorry. I'm gonna get Spider-Man fatigue. I'm gonna be like, well, you you can and you can only tell an origin story so many ways. I I'm not gonna say I guarantee you, but I will say that with a 95% certainty, I can say that when DC launches their cinematic universe, we're not gonna get a Batman origin story. No, it's not gonna happen. We've had enough of them. It's done. They're not going to revisit that again. Because Batman and Bruce Wayne's already established as an older gentleman. Not only that, but who doesn't know the origin story of Batman? Yeah. As an adult. You know, when you got kids... I mean, I'm, when my son starts to grow up, I'm going to have to... You know, I'm going to have to give him the origin story at some yeah, point. Yeah, prep him somehow. Yeah, I need to let him know what the basis for this is. And, there, and there's plenty of movies and comics and stuff I can use to do that. But as adults, as people who've grown up with this for years, we don't need another origin story. We know, and if you don't know who Batman and Spider-Man are by now, you're not going to go see the movie anyway. So yeah. what difference does it make? Oh, but I mean, like I said, Sony, I applaud. Like they're doing a lot. Things doing like Legendary's doing with Godzilla and King Kong, stretching it out. How long can we do it? Hey, give me more. I'm all about that. Like like I've said from the beginning, and Federale touched on it too when he was on the show. Give me more. This is an awesome time we live in. I want more. Let's do it. And and let's just hope, hope that it's worth it. And speaking of hoping that something's worth it and waiting a while, Ghostbusters Series 3 is one of those movies. At least we know it's happening now, though. That's the good thing. But how it's happening is still a question mark. Now, Sony's actually got their eyes on a director. So what do you think about Paul Feig being the director of Ghostbusters 3? Um... Here's the thing. If, if they're going to go the route where this is, okay, it's going to be based on like newer Ghostbusters and the older Ghostbusters are going to be kind of like and in the background. Now they're saying they might be all female. female then it's be, a, it'd be I think it'd be a good choice because, I mean, he had success with Bridesmaids. He had The Heat. He knows how to direct f- comedies, especially female comedies, you know, or comedies that have female leading characters he knows how to do right I just don't uh, I don't want Melissa McCarthy in the Ghostbusters movie no <laughs> and she's been in pretty much everything he's done it seems well, like are they married I think are they she's married to... I, don't know, I, don't, I don't really keep up with that sort of stuff so oh. I, I have no idea if he's married I mean if they are I guess it makes sense you know you want to hang out with your wife but, I just, but I'm getting tired I of her too her in the damn I'm, movie. I'm getting tired of Melissa I mean, McCarthy he too. did Bridesmaids and The Heat she was in both of those movies so yeah. what do you think's going to happen and I don't necessarily want Kristen Wiig in the movie either 
I don't know who you cast. It's going to be probably like younger people. But, and I think you have to do it that way. Now, I kind of gave it some thought because I wasn't really high on this choice myself. So one of the names, what about uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, who did Men in Black? He did Adam's Family. Right. I mean, it's still, you know, you kind of got that supernatural alien-esque kind of thing that he's done in the past. I think he could probably do it justice. I don't know if with an all-female cast, if he's maybe the right choice or not. But, I mean, look at what he did with, like, the Morticia character in the Addams right. Family. Uh, he knows how to direct female characters. So it's not like he couldn't do it. I would have gone, I would like to see either A, Shane Black, or B. Shane Black would be interesting. Or B, James Gunn. <laughs> I think he's got a little too much on his plate to take this one, but that would be, I mean, that would be a good choice, too. I thought about, just because of the camaraderie aspect, Right. Uh, John Hamburg, who did I Love You, Man, which I loved. So if it was going to be a male, if it wasn't going to be female, so right. if it was going to be a male cast, right. the way he writes, you know, kind of buddy movies kind of thing, right. I think would be an interesting choice as well. What now, about- he doesn't have that supernatural vibe, but... What about our, uh, our our Lord and Savior, Kevin Smith? Oh, I would like that. Would he want to do it, though? I don't know. I mean, he's kind of going more towards a horror route with Tusk yeah, and I stuff. Yeah, I don't know if he's... I don't know if he's... I don't know how big of a Ghostbusters fan he is. I well, can imagine nerd, he probably so. is, but... I would love... Oh, my God. I just saw this. I would love to see a Kevin Smith-directed Ghostbusters movie starring Patton Oswalt. That would be interesting. What about Simon Pegg? Let's get Simon Pegg yes! in there, too. Yes! Why not? Why not? Why not? I think, yeah, that would be a cool idea. I would like to like, see... Like, not like... like don't have, like, like teeny bopper ghosts, but just have, like, you guys who are in, like, their mid-30s right. kind of thing. What we're going to do this weekend, after the show, we're going to tweet Kevin Smith. We're going to ask him. We're going to go point blank right at him, see if he responds. We're going to ask him if he'd be interested in directing Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, because we want to start. We want to start a viral thing here now. We want to see if we can get him interested and see. You know, not that they would pick him, but you know, no, I, but mean, I, I, I would actually. I, I would just want to know if he would like and, to do it. And we're going to tweet Pat Oswalt and saying, "Hey, Why not? would you be interested in if you were approached to be in a Ghostbusters movie?" I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad that we're going to get another Ghostbusters movie. I am. I think that just like anything else, we should be concerned that it's this much farther removed right. from. The other movies, but you can't well, really also, make it. You can't really make it the way it was before because two of your well, cast members aren't going to be available. Well, I mean, well, Bill Murray was one of the main reasons why. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he's like, oh, I don't want to do it. It's like, oh, dude, you're not. Re- I mean, other than what he's uh, doing, Monuments of, Men. He's doing a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, he's kind of like I'm doing what I want to do, kind of thing. Well, I mean, I, guess. I, mean, I mean, he's at the point of his career. I'm going to do what I want to do. He's going to do like he's made enough money. So. Yeah, you know, but I mean. You know, he's done, you know, I believe he was in Grand Budapest Hotel. So he's doing like, all these artsy. Um, which is fine. Stuff, which is fine. Bill, go for it. We just, we'd love to see you in this movie. But I would have liked it if, like, the thing story around, centered around, you know, of course, Harold Ramis is dead. We all know that's sad. But if if, if it was like his, his, some, like, new entity kind of like started haunting the Ghostbusters and mm-hmm. ended up being him, or you end up. You know, or he ended up being a ghost, and it, it, you know... I still think that a good angle could be a whole, you know, a sibling of one of the Ghostbusters wanting to start it back up again kind of thing. See, or like Egon's brother. Like yeah. I said, you could tie it in, like make it personal. You know, Harold Ramis was a great man, great director, and just a great comic legend. Um, you know, had to maybe like Patton, if you want to do like a Patton, I don't think maybe like, his brother was Egon or something like that. I know? think maybe even like an Egon's son. 
Yeah. Egon's son. Egon's passed on. Yeah. Now, and to honor his father's legacy kind of thing, he wants to bring back... The, or maybe they're forced somehow to bring back the Ghostbusters, and he's like, my dad wouldn't sit back yeah. and wait for, and just let this happen. He would take action, so we're going to put a team together kind of thing. Yeah. And then involve Dan Aykroyd in that. Go to him and say, hey, Ray, we need your help. We're putting the band back together kind of thing. Yeah. We w- I want to honor Dad, so maybe that's the route but, that they go. But I think hopefully, that'd be cool. it, but don't make it like where it's Blues Bros. Two Thousand. No, 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 no! Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. No, We're no. getting the band back together because. Uh, and and our, I don't think you, uh, Jay, uh, Jay is dead. I don't feel like you have to reboot it. You could still play off of the older characters. Just make it new. You don't have to call it a re- reboot's a, a word that gets used so much nowadays. This wouldn't necessarily have to be a reboot. It could be a continuation. Yeah. Years later, there's nothing wrong with that. This isn't going to be Rocky Balboa, okay? Oh, God. This is going to be Ghostbusters 3. This is a different entity. You can make this work properly. And speaking of different entities, our final... Well, not our final, but our second to last um, story involves the next-gen consoles. involves the you know Ubisoft... And they announced a new Assassin's Creed game. Of course, Assassin's Creed Unity is coming out for next gen. But how are they saying, let's not forget about those people who are still working with the last gen consoles, the 360s and the PS3s. Can we just do a, take a moment to do a slow clap for Ubisoft? Because this is exactly what we've been saying all along. Yeah. Money's tight. Things are tough right now. You can't necessarily grab your next-gen consoles right away. So how about showing a little love to those of us who are still clacking away on the PS3? And it's going to, and it's totally like again, Assassin's Creed Rogue, and it's going to debut alongside Assassin's Creed Unity, but it's going to be a completely different game. Mm-hmm. Instead of being the Assassin and the Brotherhood, you're going to have the you're gonna role be of a Templar. the Templars, yeah. yeah. So, and it's going to bridge the gap between uh, Assassin's Creed uh, 4 Black Flag and Assassin's Creed 3, so I kind of like that too. Not only are you giving me the opportunity to play a new Assassin's Creed game, you're gonna do, you're gonna let me have you're gonna let me stay within the realm, within the story, without having to buy a new console. Well, plus what was it what was it Assassin's Creed three that was labeled Brotherhood, whatever, but it was Assassin's Creed three, um, which where you were in the Revolutionary War. Yes, and yeah, that was uh, it. and uh, I would have loved, and it was a good game, but I would have loved. If you had a choice, like you can choose to be the Redcoats, side of the Redcoats, mm-hmm. or be with the Revolutionaries. And I think that's the cool and thing that, that they're doing with this, is yeah. that now they're going to put you on the other side yeah. kind of thing. So it's very interesting. There's a trailer out for it right now. We posted it up at facebook.com slash nerdy if you want to watch that yeah. story that we posted up. I just think that it's very cool to do this and to release them at the same time. Not only that, you've still got people that probably still have their PS3s, even though they have a PS4. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, you know how you have your friends list on your PS3? You know, people that that, um, that you have listed there yeah. that say, you haven't logged in in eight months because they're playing their PS4. Yeah. Well, suddenly you're going to start to see that start to click up more again because they're going to want to play this new Assassin's so people, Creed and people, and people are wondering, okay, when is this going to take place? Well, it's going to take place during the Seven Years' War, and it's going to bridge the gap between Black Flag and Assassin's Creed 3. Which is going to be, it's going to be very cool, and I just love the fact that they're doing this for those of us who can't necessarily afford the new consoles right now but at the same time, want to play a new Assassin's Creed game. And, hey, money makes the world go round. And if anything else, you got to know, this is going to make Ubisoft much more money. And what else makes money go around is having children 
<laughs> it also help. makes money fly out the window. Yes. Trust me. From experience recently, baby stuff is expensive, people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have kids, so I mean, I, I wouldn't know. Just like Kevin Hart said, you're going to learn today. Uh, yeah. You will learn eventually, eventually how expensive baby stuff is. Yeah. Of course, they might have hoverboards by then, so that'd be pretty cool, right? Are you saying I'm not going to find anybody until, like, I'm being the 40-year-old virgin They're kind of thing? They're working on it, dude. It's going to happen soon. No, no, what I'm saying is you're like, but your tone, you're like, oh, they have hoverboards by the time you have kids. I'm like, dude, I'm 25. You're 25. I'm not 35. But you're, but you're, but I'm young, you son of a bitch. I got married at 30. But still, it's like, you're, 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 my point is you pretty much made it sound like. Well, you're not going to find somebody to get married tomorrow. That's what I'm what saying. You you're, making, you're making me like you're going to be like the four-year-old virgin what guy you, never find anybody until you're you like, like Kardashian. You're not going to get married within like two months. I know that. Just, you're 25. Relax. So some oats. But you're just like, you're just, you're, I know you understand what the fuck you did. You're just trying to mind fuck me be right an now. Be an oat. Be an oat. <sighs> not hollow oats, but be an oat in a different way. <laughs> But or, when you, or, or Garfunkel notes, because they're actually pretty that, fucking That hilarious. is pretty awesome, actually. But a new study came out from Oxford University, by the way. Pinky's in the air for this one. Oxford. Is that uh, they recently found that a small amount of regular video game play can actually benefit teens and children. What? So, Mom, maybe we should play video games before we do our homework now. Before we do our homework, after we eat breakfast, even if it's 90 degrees out... We're playing video games. And basically, this was a. There's 500, 5,000, excuse me, kids from the age of 10 to 15 that they study with, you know, varying ranges of gaming habits. From, yeah. You know, people played a little bit, people played a little bit more. And they said that the ones who spent an hour or less each day playing video games tended to be more adjusted and happier. Now, mind you, it wasn't like, hey, like, here's a kid on the street. No, they conducted on nearly 5,000 children who were aged 10 to 15, and, and they had varying levels of game-playing habits. So, I mean, I was a heavy video game player back in the day. I know I you were. Saying, yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, you go, like I said, we're going to Dan Buster's after the show. It's... They had the same with the light. You got to, you know, test your reflexes. Mm-hmm. And I did that, and I outscored my friend who has both arms. And he's like... That's messed up, by it, the way. Yeah. <laughs> I outdid my friend on that on the ref- reflex. Way to knock him down a couple of pegs. But he recorded the video of me doing it. He's like, holy shit. He's like, he's flying. It's like, yeah. Because, you know, it's helped me out when I played football. Because I could read defenses better. Because, you know, now I'm saying... I'm always guys like, oh, I play man, I can play football. No, I played football because I loved football. Um, and whether my kids are going to play or not, it's a whole different story. Um, but no, it's just like you you read plays. Like when you're when you're reading a playbook, you know, it's like reading a strategy guide. Yeah, basically, you know, it's, so you're picking it's up a lot the faster. same concepts. Yeah. So, and I think that you know, as far as problem solving skills, I think video games help with that. Like you said, reaction times. I just think it makes the mind sharper. And they also said that children who engaged in moderate amounts of video game play, which is one to three hours. Really had no positive or negative effects either way. Plus, I mean, if it wasn't for Oregon Trail, how really, what other time could you really die of dysentery? Exactly. I mean, and how, how would is. you even know what dysentery is? Unless you've seen Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, then there's that. And then they explain it very nicely, and it's kind of brutal. Yeah. But, um, I, and another thing I think that is good about this is that, you know, you go to school, and what are your friends talking about? They're yeah. talking about whatever games they're playing or maybe comics that they're reading. So this, you know, maybe this is how you create it's, friends. It's a common bond. You know, video games is 
especially if you're playing against a friend, whether it's Call of Duty or sports games or whatever, puzzle games, you know, or something like, especially like Portal. Um, it's 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 this generation's version of chess. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and you can even play chess if that's your video game. Then or you battle chess. Or if you want to play chess, just talk to a girl or somebody opposite sex. <laughs> that, yeah, that would definitely if be you're, a chess match. For yeah. Sure. Oh, definitely, <laughs> it, dude. I've never not talked to. Her. I've talked to one, um, who where it's where it's not a chess match, but that's it's the whole love thing. It's like I don't understand why it's such a goddamn chess match. <laughs> well, I mean, not to get all corny and everything, but when you find the right one, you know, I did. Yeah, I did. When it's when it's easy, when it's suddenly easy, everything's easy. The talking is easy. I feel that. I, I, I feel like you're Mufasa. I'm Simba. We're sitting on top of Pride Rock. We're getting sun, and you're just telling me all these things. I'm like, yes, they will happen. I have been where you have not yet been, and let me tell you what it's like when you get there. <laughs> Oh, but God. no, and if you're in that position, it really is just like that. It's corny, too, because people would tell you all the time, oh, when you find the one, you know, and I'm like, shut up. Yeah. You're just shut, just shut up. And <laughs> then when you when you realize that that's true, you're like, that son of, whoever told you, like, that son of a bitch was right. <laughs> I, hate, I hate myself right now. But, but that we were exactly right. But going back to, to the the story, though, no, it, it's, 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 this was a generative chess game. It's, you know, it's fun. You know, hey, you know, granted, I would ha- when I have kids, they're going to be action sports. Um, other than football, just because I, I played it, it's I've seen too many horrible things happen. But they're going to be they're going to be active. They're going to be riding bikes, they're right. gonna be whatever. And I'm going to limit them like my parents did with me. It was okay, an hour or so, you can have your games, and that's it. You know, I don't want because I don't want them to be especially like any and a day like today where it's beautiful outside. So you're going to be outside. You know, I'm not going to have you inside. The Everything house. in moderation. Yeah, I mean that's that's my kind of my philosophy. Everything in moderation. I don't want to limit something just because the world thinks it's not a good thing. If I think something's helping more than something else is, yeah, then you know that's what I'm gonna do. I just want my kids to have be adventurous. Reason why I have them outside a lot is just, I want them to be adventurous. I want them to be definitely have yeah. a sense of imagination. You know, you know, come in here inside to read and, and, and play, if you want to play games, you know, have, build your imagination. But go outside and pretend right, you're you, dinosaurs in the backyard. You've got to do both because we did both. We turned out good. Um, but I mean, you also have to think about the kids too. That you know, they suffer from allergies or all kinds of other stuff. They can't spend as much time outside. This gives them the option to. Give them something they can do to sharpen their minds and become more social as well. Yeah. So it helps those kind of kids too because I've got allergies, so I can't you know be outside and, all the time. And as, as we're an going, adult, and, and so. as we are in the digital age, we and everything's going to be robotic within the next few years or so. Like I like said, everything's man. You know, it's coming. You know, coding is a very important thing, and it's mm-hmm. actually a job that's very under not underappreciated, but under uh, hired. In terms of, hey, we have all these coding jobs open, but nobody knows how to code. I've, I've, I coded for a while, and it's, it's a scene, man. It's, it's tough, but there is a need for that. So if you're, if you're thinking about getting into something, that would be a good thing to get into. It's hard. It's a lot of work, but it's totally cool to see finished products. And speaking of get, it being hard to get into something, of course, Hall H is a tough thing to get into at Comic Con. However, Will Wheaton came out and actually made. An observation that was pretty interesting and kind of sad at the same time. And we're going to tell you what that is next. Now, it seems like the talk of San Diego Comic-Con is never going to go away. And it was an amazing year at Comic-Con. But our buddy Will Wheaton actually pointed out something that was kind of sad. So we are here today to save the comics. 
Well, as I said, kind of the same with San Diego Comic Con is original or is in what originally was about. Now, the reason that we're talking about this, and, and I posted this up on Facebook.com/slash Dan and Nerdy about a week or so ago, where Will, Will Wheaton said, "I was at Comic Con, and people said if you wanted to avoid the crowds, you would go to where the comics were." Yeah, and that, and he said that was sad, and I and I read that, and I was like, "Wow." That is really sad. It's yeah. San Diego Comic Con, yeah. and you're getting away from the crowds by going to where the comics are. How did this happen? Um, it happened because when you have these cinematic universes, you have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, DC, you're getting these new fans. However, a lot of new fans more likely aren't reading comics. They're just they they buy the merch, they buy the shirts. Going back to our second. And going back to our second episode, they're fake nerds. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or I don't say fake nerds, but they're trendy. People, trendy. Trendy. You know, that's the thing because it's cool, and they read. They the, think they are. Yeah, but they're not. Or they just say, or again, or just not nerds at all. They say, hey, we're just gonna go see this. We don't want to read Superman. We're just gonna go see the Superman movies, you know, or whatever. That's the thing. It's like that's the reason why you know, comic book readers like us don't go to where the comics are. You know, because of, for that reason, because it's like it's all about. Oh my God, we gotta wait for Hall H because it's gonna be a big thing with Avengers and stuff like that. And another thing too is what's sad is that if you go to where the comics are, you know, people have their things where like, hey, I have my own shop where I'm from. You know, it's a where people come from all the world that goes to SDCC. So it's like, I have my own shop where I'm from. So it's kind of like, it's a loyalty thing, probably. I think that I mean, and that's a big thing for me too. When I find a place that I like, I'm loyal. I don't want to buy my comics anywhere else but I can understand where especially at a con if there's that one book you're looking for like I oh, would yeah. love to get uh, First Parents of Harley Quinn yeah I've been looking for it. they actually had it at Tidewater Con last time but you know money was tight yeah couldn't afford it but I mean your local shop's not necessarily going to have an older book like that so for a con I could see doing that but but here's my thing and I think that what we did well, and I don't want to toot our own horn or anything, but one of the things that we did well was when we covered San Diego Comic-Con last week, we actually talked about comics. Yeah. Because there were announcements. There are there were panels. It's not like this wasn't stuff that wasn't available. There were panels for Marvel, DC. There was also announcements from places like Boom and IDW and Image. They had their announcements too. Yeah. And we covered all that. But the problem was is... People weren't around it. Yeah, they didn't see it. The announcements were made, and they there were even Legendary had uh, some of their comics on display from their new comics that they've got coming out. They had a place in Hall H where you can go see their comics. Yeah, and, but that that's not where people wanted to be, and that's that's sad because you're missing out on so many other good stories when you're not reading the comics. I'm not saying that that's true for every comic. But here's the thing. But and here's the thing is like when you look at something like okay, Captain America: Winter Soldier, and this is evident. I don't know how many people you can count easily on more than one hand. I can't personally, but <laughs> the amount of people when it's revealed that Bucky is Winter Soldier, how many people gasped mm-hmm. and like, oh my God, it's Bucky, and it's like this is the problem. Yeah, because. It, and then people look at you like you're weird. Like, yeah. why didn't you? Why weren't Why weren't you shocked by that? Because I, I knew. And, and, and I know people listen to this podcast. Like, oh, well, you got you. You're telling me you got to read comics to like. 
No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is is that the way that the movies should work originally would be like if, okay, you know nothing about Winter Soldier at all, you go see it, okay, now I want to go read it and actually see what it was. That's the thing. That's the thing. The movies should make you want to go back to reread the source material. Yeah. Anything. Whether it's Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Spider-Man, whatever. It That's should... the point. The point is, is that these other things should make you want, should make you fan enough to make you want more. And that's the same with anything, I think. You, if you really love something, if you really are really diehard into something, it should make you want to do more. When you see the Dark Knight trilogy, you shouldn't just want to, you know, get Batman car seat covers or, you know, yeah. upgrade your shirt collection. You, you should think, huh. I loved these stories so much. I wonder what other stories are out there. Perfect example is, you know, I read comics all the time now. I used to read them a lot when I was a kid. However, literally up until I met James about a year or so ago, I didn't read comics. I mean, I, there was a gap for me too, and I, I've talked about that a lot. Yeah, sure. I went to a time where like I was, I knew the source material. I knew about X. I knew about Spider-Man, not just because I wanted to see the movies, but because I watched all the shows and everything else in between that time where I didn't read comics anymore, up until now where I do again, and I'm grateful that I do again because a lot of the stuff is, is good. What you know, it's coming out. You know, yeah, there are some head scratchers we talk about and some moves we may not like, but for the most part, the stuff I have in my bookshelf is pretty goddamn good. One of the things that struck me when I first started reading comics again uh, several years ago and it was actually kind of an interesting moment for me because I was, you know, the first few books that I picked up, I was reading them and then I was like, wow, I've missed so much. Yeah. That was my reaction. I actually was like, I can't believe I waited this long to jump back in. So I don't want people to make that mistake. And when I say we're going to save the comics, what I really want to talk about is, you know, why is it that comics aren't taking off with these movies taking off now? And I think part of the problem is is that, and I hate to say this, part of it is availability. Yeah. I, I, I think local shops are fantastic. I think everybody who wants to read comics should have a local shop. Yeah. But let's face it, not everybody is going to go on Google or whatever and try to find a local shop in their area. They want to buy their comics at Barnes and Noble. They want to buy them at Amazon. Amazon, and I'm not, I'm not saying you should do this. What I'm saying is, there's got to be, and I don't even get trades at those at right. those places, but that's different. There's got to be some way to pump up where you can get comics, and I think that's part of the problem with people like Marvel and DC it's like you give us these cinematic universes and DC's is just starting to come they made the announcement of the nine films coming up right. and of course Batman Superman moves to March 25th 2016 your birthday which is going to be awesome that's going to be a great day um, they do all this promoting but then it's still their product let's not let's not discount that Batman is still a DC product Spider-Man is still a Marvel product why aren't you telling me if you want more Batman stories, pick up a copy of the New 52 Batman, and here's how you get it. And here's the thing, too, is, okay, we all buy DVDs. Well, I don't really anymore because, unless it's something I really want, because of Netflix. But I think that, you know, 
okay, you want to make people go back and read the source material and get kind of a real feel for how you came to make this movie, have more bonus features where it says, hey, we took from this comic and this arc and this series, and here's what we did, and then they'll make people want to go back and read those. I will give Marvel credit for that. And uh, for Thor The Dark World and a couple of their other releases, they have given a digital code for a free comic or comics that not necessarily tie into that story, but, but they the, at least they're giving you the option to read a comic. Right, and that's awesome. But what I'm saying is that you know if you want to get even more, not just more people, more fans, more readers, you know, keyword readers, you would want. I would want to have you know uh, a Joss Whedon say, "Hey, for Avengers, we took this arc, this arc, yeah, and this, this is, arc. Yeah, this is this is what we pulled from, not yeah. directly, but this is where we pulled. From. It's almost like a director's cut." Yeah. Like, for Days of Future Past, it's a perfect example. Now, we talk about how, in the movie, Wolverine's the one that goes back in time, but in the comics, it's Kitty Pride. Yeah. Well, if you want that take, go pick up the comic and see what they did differently kind of thing. Now, I don't. I want to go back before I get too far, and, and that uh, DC also does the comics thing, where with their animated movie yeah. releases, they have attached comics and, and actually episodes of animated series on there as well as special features. I didn't want to leave... DC people up like you're a DC guy and you forgot to mention that no I know I know it's there uh, one of the other things I'd like to see happen and I think DC actually did do a great job putting the comics in the serial that yeah. was a fantastic thing that they did what I'd like to see is they've got all this pre-order stuff that you can do now we're a world of pre-ordering in games in movies stuff like that why not offer a package and I don't care where you do it Target Best Buy I don't care why not offer a package? Give me the option to spend an extra five bucks or whatever it is to get the Blu-ray, DVD combo pack and a comic yeah. with it or a trade or something like that. It's attached. I don't need. I don't necessarily need a hat or a t-shirt. So give me an option for a comic. Give people that option. They're doing a lot of figures now. Where you pre-order at Amazon, you can get the you can get the uh, transform a Transformers statue or a or a statue from Days of Future Past. Give me the option of getting something with a comic. Why not? Why not do that? Yeah, that's something we're seeing with, with uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. When it comes out, it's going to be had that Caesar statue kind of thing. Kind of, you know, it's going to come out with a Caesar statue. Right. And not that there's anything wrong with that either. No. But they're they're doing that, and it's like okay, you know, let's get people you know more interested in it. So they're giving them. They're giving them physical value, but what really they're not doing is they're not saying, you know, word value. We're saying, like, you know, hey, we're going to give you this little statue just to say, hey, I got this thing. But it's not like, hey, here's our director or our lead star of the movie saying, yeah, for this, I took this and they had me read this part of the comics and to identify with. And the with. stars, too. Let's not even, let's, let's not just put the directors in there. Let's talk about the stars, too, because a lot of these stars are also fans. Yeah. Let's let them talk about in bonus features, well, what comics did they read or what did they recommend? Because, again, these are your properties. You should want people to read your comics. Because here's the thing. Like, my dad, I mentioned this on an earlier show, loves cars. He built cars. He, he, he you know, rebuilt cars. He built engine from scratch. He was on a pro drag racing team when I was a baby. You know, the man knows how to turn a wrench. Um, when I bought the Dark Knight Rises Blu-ray box set and on it came with a bonus feature of the history of the Batmobile, he and I sat down and he was just like, wow, I kind of want to watch more Batman now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like, cause he knows, you know, he's like, 
you know, when they talk, because he loved, he loved the Adam West. That's, he said that's his favorite Batmobile is the Adam West Batmobile. With you, buddy. With and, you. And he said he was like, I want to go watch the old Batman series now. By the way, that uh, box set for Batman, the Blu-ray one, is going to come with a Batmobile. Not like the actual drivable Batmobile. Right, it's going to come with the model of the Batmobile from the series. So I can't wait to to pick up that set. But I think part of the problem, too, and I want to see if you agree with this, is the reason why comics, especially for... There's two problems. One starts with there's not enough comics for younger kids anymore. Comics are so geared towards adults now. I know there are series of comics that are for kids, but... To me, you need to have a progression. Let me st- let me start with a let, let's say there's a younger Batman or Justice League run. Start off there with the kids, then jump into a you know older kid and then teen and progress. Where's the progression to get readers interested early? I agree to a certain extent extent with that. Um, I think yeah, there are when you look at kids comics, what do they have? They don't really have Batman. They don't because it's it's really dark. They don't have uh, a Spider-Man because it's kind of dark you know and, and there's just stuff that they just won't understand so they got the Power Rangers they have the My Little Ponies you know the Transformers if they want or whatever um, yeah that's it but I think it's because certain characters are so dark well know. I mean but but it doesn't have to be that way initially but still I just mean, like Nin- the Ninja Turtles comic when it came out it was when it came out it was very dark it was very brooding but then the animated series was totally different, and but that allowed kids to get into it, and then later on, should they want to branch out, go to that older style. Right, but that's the thing. Is like when you okay, take a character like Batman, right? How oh, you have a seven-year-old? How are you going to properly explain how the person became Batman? How Bruce Wayne became Batman? For kids, it doesn't necessarily matter all the time how it happened. They just know that. But you're not going to steer wrong and say, "Hey." He was left at a circus one night, and that's how no, he No, you Batman. don't tell... My point is, for something like that, you wouldn't tell the origin story at all. You just jump right into a story because kids have... You know, kids are a little ADD. They don't necessarily think about, okay, why is he Batman? Kind of That's thing. my second point. The reason why I think, you know, what Wheaton said, you know, rings true is because we are much, much more of a visual society than anything else. Like, we, like, in terms of moving pictures instead of reading things. Even with tablets. You know, a lot of people I know, they have a tablet, they'll get like the audiobook. So they'll listen to on their computer and they'll do whatever. You know, there are, we have more audio visual. I believe I read, I read a stats where it said like at least more than half, like at least 72% of the population are visual learners. And but, but you can learn visually through comics, too. That's the whole point of comics as opposed to But what to I'm saying books. is strict visual. Like, like if you're saying, okay, little Timmy, do you want to read Batman or do you want to watch Batman? Ten out of ten times I'll say I want to watch Batman. Right, definitely. But, I mean, there's a certain... You know, you want to be able to sit down with your kid with a book, old school, and you the earlier you introduce them to stuff like this, the more they're going to want to do it, is my point. If you can introduce them to a world where they can read and be interested early, they're going to want to do that from the beginning. I think but if you stick them on cartoons and movies, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that because I'm going to do that with my kid. They're going to be able to do both. But introduce them to that world and show them, hey, this is interesting too, and maybe if you do that early enough, they'll want to do it. But get, how do I have that option to do that? 
again, it's, it, it comes down to, you know, you bring the whole reading aspect and everything else. It's like, it's like kids, you know, the attention span. It's, 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 you know, ball here, stick there kind of thing. But it also, to me, comics also allows them, especially if you did it for a younger audience, let the imagination come in. Let them try to figure out why he's Batman. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. You know, once they get older, they could say, you know, you know, here's the character that you loved. Now that you're older and you can understand more, you want to know how he became Batman. So suddenly, it's almost like the star. It's almost like Star Wars. And I'm not saying that the that the first three that the newer three movies were any good, but it's like okay, you grew up watching Star Wars. So you say, okay, little Timmy, now that you're a little older, do you want to know how Darth Vader became Darth Vader? And you can go back after the fact. You don't have to tell them now that Batman's parents were murdered in some dark alley by Joe Chill. You can let them try and figure out on their own why he became Batman. And then when they're a little older, you could say, okay, you want to go back and learn what happened? Now that you're a little older, here's how it happened. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, so explain dark origins like, Batman and Superman or Spawn or whatever. It's like explaining it to kids. Like when I know when my kid asks or kids ask me that question, whatever that's gonna be, it's gonna be kind of like them asking, "Where do babies come from?" It's the nerd equivalent. It's gonna be hard. Yeah. It's like like when they say when they, when my son or daughter say, "Dad, where did Batman come from?" You know, like where what you know, how did he become Batman? And I'm like, no! And my wife, who is going is is also a nerd. Of course. You know, that's that's going to happen. She'll, sure. she'll also be a nerd, of course. Um, I'll be like, um, ask your mother. Yeah, ask your mother. Uh, or, <laughs> <laughs> the, the classic parental cop-out. Yes, or, well, or it's like, dad, why? <laughs> or just like an origin, like a horrific origin, like some sort of female character. Um, ask your mom. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of the reason, too, is not just, you know, starting them off with younger comics and moving a progression, which I think is something that's needed, but also the degradation of Saturday morning cartoons Yeah, is hurting comics. Yeah. Because they used to have the Batman cartoons, Superman, Transformers, Fox Ninja had Turtles. Fox Kids, and it was all Digimon, po- yeah. you know, Digimon, uh, Batman Beyond, you know, so like that, w- you know, WB had Animaniacs every day, they had, you know... Cartoon Network had Toonami. And I know Cartoon Network, you're trying, but you're not trying hard enough. You're not sticking with anything. It seems like Cartoon Network has, like, literally when I turn the channel, it has, like, three main... There's that meme that goes around since, like, what was it, like, 2000? Yeah. And it was, like, a full theater full of characters. And then it's, like, 2014, and it's, like, four characters. And what's funny, too, is that, you know, and Marvel's starting to come out with... You know, the Guardians cartoon's going to come out. They've got Avengers Assemble. They've got Star Wars Rebels is coming out. But, but here's need, the problem with we that. Need, we need more stuff that's not prop, licensed properties. Here's the issue, though. They're not putting it on Disney Channel. They're putting it on Disney XD. So you're kind of saying, yeah, we'll do these cartoons. We think it's a good thing, but we're going to stick it on the secondary channel. You're not giving it the attention that you could. I mean, you could easily get well, strong viewership for these cartoons. Well, part of that is also because it's, it's like, hey... Where you want you people to get the bigger cable premium so you can get Disney XD, whereas the one you have now doesn't have and Disney I, and XD. And I get that, and I get that, but at the same time, you've got to make it a known entity before you can start and, selling. And the thing that I want too, or I would like to see, is like literally like everybody keeps like clamoring for it. Like 
90s Nickelodeon shows, 90s Cartoon Networks. Hell, like a channel. Like, we have Boomerang, which is great. Like, honestly, Boomerang. Boomerang, yeah. Again, when I have kids, they're going to be hooked on, if it's still around, Boomerang. You know, we need that channel. I want I want a channel other than Boomerang um, to sit down with my kids and, you know, and my wife as well, you know, when that happens, um, and say, hey, let's watch 90s Nickelodeon shows. Let's watch shows. That's why I love, like, like me personally, and not just because of, oh, I'm, I, I'm not a fanboy or whatever, like, oh, you're a fanboy or whatever. It's, no, if, like, when I have a girlfriend or I have a wife, I want to be able to, and we more odds likely are we grew up in the same time. I'll be like, hey, let's sit down and watch Ed and Eddie. Let's sit down and watch um, Salute Your Shorts, you know, or, yeah, or whatever. My, my wife loves cartoons, and she gets frustrated that there aren't enough good ones either. We watched, we watched the new Ninja Turtles cartoon the other day. So we sat down and watched the new Ninja Turtles cartoon the other day, and while it was okay, we both kind of agreed that this just isn't as good as... The other cartoon was, and I'm like, is this really going to make my son want to go pick up a Ninja Turtles comic? Probably not. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that that's a huge part of why comics aren't doing as well. I don't know price point's an issue now, too. I know that that doesn't help, but what what is it that's going to make comics interesting to the point where you're going to fill your, t- not necessarily fill your table, but get more traffic to your tables and your booths at Hall H? What's it going to take? I, I I don't know. I think it's probably going to be like, if you're Marvel, like, hey, if you know, give them something other than the panel itself. Like, okay, Hall H is you wait a long time, days or hours or whatever, for a panel and, in line. And it's like, if I'm like Marvel or DC or Image, or whatever, say, like, hey, you guys waited X amount of time for our panel. Here's a free oh, that's number one issue. Brilliant! That is such a good idea. Here's you're a free number one in issue. Line, Here's a comic you can read while you're waiting in line. Why the hell not do that? Yeah. Why the hell not? If Tidewater Comic Con can go to a movie theater in Virginia Beach and hand out free Guardians of the Galaxy comics for their event, why in the blue hell can Marvel and DC not hand out issues of Flash while people are waiting to get into Hall H or issues for, for, of, for the Flash panel or an Avengers issue or here's an idea not and again I know people hammer me for talking about digital here's a digital code for the Marvel app you can read this comic on your phone or on your tablet while you're standing there waiting yeah why in the hell not do that at Comic Con oh that might be a problem because uh, I was listening to somebody talk about their actually at San Diego Comic Con this year and they said that like they didn't want to go charge their phone and it's like they said the main center of like the hall or, or the, the convention center is like kryptonite probably like basic kryptonite because A, I see that, no yeah. cell phone signal like you get low cell phone signal and B your battery just completely die like goes down for whatever reason I could totally and so that. they don't really have charging stations so you have to go find an outlet and uh, you know it's like they have signs like no standing or whatever yep. and it's like well can I jog in place <laughs> I mean, is that allowed? I mean, I just think that there's... You can't ignore the, the, the girl that brought you to the dance. Yeah. Kind of thing. You got you can't ignore your comics because... And I think Marvel's becoming guilty of this a lot. They're starting to ignore their comics more and more and have for years. So now, what ended up having to happen is they made this huge dramatic change to get press for their comics. Whereas if they'd been paying attention to them all along... That might not have been necessary. But I think that's, that's a, like I said, that's a, a, not to my own home, that's a 
good point by me. It's just like, yeah, if you're like, hey, we have people in Hall H waiting three hours for a Flash panel. Hey, as soon as you sit down, we're going to hand out free number one issues of a new, like a new Flash run we're doing. Or even give them a pre, give them an issue of the Flash Zero Year comic that they're going to use as a tie-in to the show. Or yeah. even the Arrow Season 2.5 comic that they're going to be doing. Give them issue number one of that. Let it tie in directly to your panel. Why the hell wouldn't you do that? I know that you know Warner Brothers might not necessarily do that for their panel, and that's where Batman vs Superman was announced. But you know, you've got to push your comics because eventually you're going to run out of stuff to do. Yeah, you got to think ahead. You're going to run out of stories if you don't focus more on your comics. You've got to drive people to your tables. And maybe you say, maybe you hand out flyers at the end of it, saying, "Huh, if you enjoyed this panel, go see our booth at this section of the con," kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Down Nerdy. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed our discussion, as you always should. <laughs> that's a rule. We demand Zod. that you de- that you enjoy our discussion. Hit play before Zod. Or before Thanos comes and destroys your entire planet. Or actually, go grab a beer like he did with Ronan. Or that. But. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash downnerdy, Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm on Twitter at nickbataglia25. James. I'm at James Ace with him. And don't forget to email us to downnerdypodcast at gmail.com. We're on YouTube as well. You can search for us on there too. Yep. And that being said, I'm Nick. I'm James. And we'll see you next week, everybody. And always remember, practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.